You are listening to a special episode of the Bondzilla Podcast. This week, we take a deep dive into everything Godzilla. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another special deep dive episode of the Bonzilla podcast. This time we're talking about the King of the Monsters himself, Godzilla, and dive deep into everything Goji. Yeah. Not Goji Berries. Goji, no. the, the short for Gojira. Mm. You moron. Mm-hmm. I'm Will. And I'm Nick. Yeah, so grab your scuba gear, everybody, because yeah. we're going another deep dive into going the- deep. Going deep. Well, I mean, if you hold your breath, we you go deep. You're never gonna make it. No, I'm gonna. Go, I'm going deep. I'm, I'm getting down there, Nick. Did you know that? Um, because uh, I just recently uh took a trip to the Bay Area, and um, I learned the difference between seals and sea lions. Yeah. Do yeah. you know, Do you know the difference between seals? I'm sure and sea lions? I do, but tell me anyways. No, it's just like, like seal. I mean, there's some minor differences. Like sea lions have like the flaps yeah. on their ears, right. but it, it's like seals are like sea missile shaped, mm-hmm. and they crawl on their bellies. And sea lions like look like people, like in like a suit, like yeah. they crawl around, yeah. like on like up on their like arms, yeah, 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 and, yeah. Like, they, yeah. So so they do that. I also think seals. The reason I brought this up was that seals can hold their breath longer uh underwater uh than sea lions uh can um godzilla can do that too godzilla no godzilla doesn't do that actually godzilla is a weird amphibian because in the legendary movies recently he has gills i don't know if you noticed that but he has if you look closely in 2014 and in king of the monsters he sports gills on his neck allowing him to breathe Mm. um is he a repto mammal uh, no, that that is um, that's a tauntaun. That is definitely to ta- tauntaun. I have to just. I know it's, it has no relation to the podcast at all. We had a giant debate during a Star Wars marathon with one of our buddies. Uh, like and, the, the, the buddy it, is like the biggest Star Wars. Yeah, like, big, biggest Star Wars fan. Uh, love him, love him to death. Uh, and he uh, and it turned into a whole group wide debate of whether tauntauns were reptiles or were they mammals. Yeah. And I forget, I actually, it, we went back and forth so many times that I forget what side of the argument I was on. Because I was like, well, because it's weird because they're definitely like dinosaurs. They look like dinosaurs, but they're clearly like goats. Yeah. Kind of. Like they have well, they a have mammal like fur, face yeah. and they have fur. So I think I cited on that they're probably mammals. Yeah. And then I think he said that they were reptiles. Yes. It was one or no, the he other. He definitely said they were reptiles. Yeah, it, and we were no because I think it was that he said they were reptiles, and we all thought he was nuts. It was like there's no way that's a reptile. Yeah, because I would say like ninety percent of it looks like a goat. Yeah, so it was clearly anyway. Bottom line is Galaxy's Edge, uh, the Star Wars land is out, and it going there. You learn that they officially yeah titled you can, you can as, buy like yeah. a Tauntaun doll, and on and it's basically part of the creature shop. And like each creature is like noted of what what type of creature it is, like if it's a mammal or if it's like a monkey, right? Uh, and I think um, uh, because like what's his name, Salacious B. Crumb is a he's a what is it, Kowakian yeah. monkey lizard or which, something? Which he's is, a monkey lizard, which is also a reptile mammal. Oh, okay, got yeah, it. They're both reptile mammals, got but it. basically, 
because the story of that was it was Star Wars Marathon, and then we did Star Wars trivia cards, and on the cards it did mention that Tauntauns were reptiles, so that was nice there. But the fact that now they're officially known as repto mammals just amuses me yeah, to that, no end. That that's canon, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, but but back to back the, to actual reptiles and and amphibians. Yeah, and stuff Godzilla like that. is technically well, technically has always been an amphibian. Well, but. and then remember, Gabra was from a mutated frog. Yes, definitely. Um, but you call? Didn't, I thought you called him something else. Didn't you say Gabra was like? Oh, a, I said. Oh, I because I recently re-listened to that episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Gabra, I said, looks like a businessman who was turned. Into, yeah, yeah, that's uh, what it was. Into a kaiju. Uh, probably in the same universe as Mamagon, or like remember uh, yes. from uh, <laughs> from uh, Godzilla versus Gigan. And the Gigan. monster. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh my god, uh, so good, so good. To the focus. To the, the focus ex- of the this ex- episode. This this deep dive. Uh, and for those of you who maybe for some reason tuning into this episode alone and you've never heard uh, any of our Bonzilla episodes before, uh, we take these episodes to peel back the layers uh, in uh, Delve, um, as the title says, a little bit deeper into yeah, we got, like, the subjects. We got the Godzilla onion and yeah. we just peel... The yeah. Layers of the onion. No matter how much it it it, it sears our nose with its atomic uh, pungency, yes, if that's a word, uh, that uh, we 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 persist and we uh, we we soak in those flavors. Mm-hmm. See, I was able to bring it. I was able yeah. to bring it around. But yeah, so we uh, we take a subject, and uh, because mostly we usually just go over movies. Uh, last time uh, on the show, we went over. Probably like one of the more fun movies that we have gone over in a long time with the uh, Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. So you can go and check out that episode that at the time of this release came out last week. Uh, that's a fun one. Go see that. But now we are talking about Godzilla. And now uh, we have kind of spent a lot of our previous deep dive episodes with Godzilla really talking about the the state of the franchise in, in a the, way. In the future of it. In yeah. the future of the we way. We talked about the future of the legendary franchise and we talked about the future of the Toho part of the franchise. So now I, I, I thought that uh, now was the time to really uh, buckle in and just talk about the material that we have uh, accumulated. Uh, accumulated right now. And I think this is a good jumping off point uh, from not only our most previous, uh, uh, more most recent Godzilla entry, but also a little bit of what we touched on in our last uh, James Bond deep dive early in the month, where we talked about um, the James Bond villains. And one of the uh, things that we had talked about in that episode were some of the political implications that uh, came out of James Bond that we kind of, like, in a weird way, got sidetracked into in that episode. For Rightfully so. I think it fit in. But yeah. it kind of led me into thinking about this, uh, about this subject, how it related to Godzilla, because as we've talked about over the course of doing this podcast is that the Godzilla films are definitely um, there. There's a lot there. There's more going on under the surface, uh, under the scales as it were. Um, And whether it be uh, intentionally or just by, um, you know, uh, just, you know, um, just by chance, by being uh, just through history and through culture, because like you know, culture is always like reflected in art and vice versa. So I thought it, it would uh, we would spend this episode taking some time and looking at Godzilla and what it has resembled th- thematically mm-hmm. uh, throughout its entire uh, existence through from ni- from 1954 to now. And I thought that we would go through that by I have determined. 
and simplified three categories in which I feel like the Godzilla has evolved thematically and what it has represented from beginning to end. So um, are you ready, Nick, to join me on this thematic journey? That's my secret, Cap. <laughs> I'm always ready. You're always ready. <laughs> then you turn to Godzilla. Screonk! <laughs> By the way, you've seen that, right? The... Um, Cat, the end game somebody edits the uh, yeah. godzilla yeah. approaching and in, in at the end of end game that's awesome yeah that that's great um all right so let, let's start up from the top nick as always godzilla always resembles something you know whether you know a lot of people have always said that godzilla is just uh wacky uh monsters beating themselves up in children's uh fair uh, and it is. Uh, we will not uh, discredit that reading of it at all. But uh, it is interesting that ye, that it Godzilla has started out with uh, very much a big uh, thematic analogy. Yeah. So, and when oh, you yeah. start off that strong by being thematically analogous to something, you you don't necessarily just wipe that away. No. And I think that we have seen um, a lot of these thematics and these ideas. Uh, you know, uh, reemerge um, heavily in some areas, stay just slightly under the surface in area. But Godzilla is always, you know, for lack of a better term, about something. And I think uh, let's go back to the original in 1954. And in our first category of thematically what Godzilla has been about, and that is clearly the nuclear allegory that absolutely, Godzilla started absolutely. off as. Um, so, you know, we won't get too much into it because, I mean, if you've been listening to this or know anything about Godzilla, we all know Godzilla started off as the um, representation of nuclear warfare and the devastation of it, whether it be the creature himself being representative of that destroying the cities, and then also more of the plot thematics of um, the original Dr. Sarazawa creating the oxygen destroyer, and is this a weapon that we can let off into mankind, and even though it would better humanity now, what is the damage it would do in the future. But one of the interesting things about the nuclear um, the the nuclear uh, thematics within this movie is that it's so strong in this movie. Have we really seen that evolve? Um, how have we seen that evolve or how have we seen that maintained in the in the series thus far because I feel like um, that is a very that is very specific to the original 1954 film, and I would maybe argue that that thematic maybe con- continues necessary uh, a little bit into the third, and f- not in the third film, in the second film with Godzilla raids again, that not as not as strongly or as poignantly, yeah. but there's a little bit as like we we talk about like you know if uh, 1954 was the Hiroshima, then uh, raids again was the Nagasaki, which was you know like kind of like just as devastating, but like you know they everybody. Rem- Remembers the Hiroshima thing and like the Nagasaki thing was like oh and then also that happened too it's just as tragic it's just yeah. within our cultural memory of it, it it's uh uh you know kind of like a, a secondary thing um and a lot of people have viewed it that way and but then also like that movie uh still maintained a lot of those thematics of like well man's meddling with this uh quote-unquote technology has kind of wrought this disaster upon us and not as heavily as it was in 1954 but there was a little bit of that and it started very much going away but i could see the argument that you could say that that was still there were shades of that in King Kong versus Godzilla only because very briefly of just like, Oh, just like man's meddling with like nature still has like, is awakening these ancient evils and such. Um, but it it is interesting for 
and again, I, I, you'll see a lot of people being like, well, this is what Godzilla has always been about. Godzilla is always about the nuclear energy. But it's interesting to see that it really was only poignantly in that first film and then arguably in the second two. And not, not so, like... Well... Yeah, no, go ahead. I, I, I mean, the thing, the thing is, it's like, it's so strongly presented in that first movie. I mean, and that's what makes that first movie, like, the best still. Like, just so emotional, so different than what any other Godzilla movie has to offer. But I do feel that, like, the nuclear aspect of it has been hanging over even those other movies. Right. Now, maybe not representative in how Godzilla attacks, but but the use of nuclear weapons and the discussion of the use of nuclear weapons right. has always kind of permeated those early Showa movies, kind of disappears into the later Showa era, and then kind of resurfaces in the early Heisei era. Yeah. Because you got to remember stuff like... You know, even, again, really small things like in um, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, there's that big discussion of, like, should we use the nukes? Like, mm-hmm. should what should we do to combat this this giant creature? Yeah, they do always bring it up, definitely. And yeah. it's like, but that's the thing. It's like it's still something that hangs, even if it's very weirdly placed, like at the end of Ibira, when that movie had nothing to do with nuclear arms, and right. then the end of the movie still has it. Like, and if we all band together and stop nuclear warfare, stuff like that. But there is always that al- aspect of hanging, even... To the sense of, like, I th- if I can remember correctly, like, by the time you get to something like, I think it's Destroy All Monsters, if I remember my movies correctly, that basically there was, like, just a brief scene where someone's like, are you going to use, like, the nuclear option? And they basically just brush it off. Like, right, like, right. what are you talking about? Yeah, And basically yeah. that's where it kind of leads to, where it's like, that's kind of where that nuclear discussion kind of went to, where it went from being an actual representation of the nuclear aspect of it to being the, like... You know, kind of what we talk about, like the nuke is the big thing that we all remember the nuke and like using using nukes again is like a huge deal that should that nothing that's something that should never happen. Um, And there's also you can even argue that there's shades of that in Son of Godzilla with like uh, the weather machine creating the eternal winter over the island. And it's like, you know, very far removed. But you can make the argument where it's like still like, oh, the nuclear winter due to man's meddling has basically frozen this island over and made it uninhabitable. And and I think like, again, like the later show era, you kind of get more into more more into the regular Joe Schmo. Like just kind of encountering Godzilla, sure. In a ways that like the early films definitely dealt with more of those people in power that did have those like nuclear options sure. to them. And then like you get to eighty four, and that kind of returns it to kind yeah, of, definitely like, comes up back heavily then. Yeah, as like we're going to because I think the idea that I that when it comes to this them- thematic, which is. This thematic is the birthing of Godzilla. Like this, the nuclear thematic is one of the reasons Godzilla exists in the first place. But I would argue, really, only that one film has strictly been about that. Yeah, no. Whereas it has come up as a, you know, as an inspiration or a factor in other films. I would say '84 is maybe like the the one where it's the heaviest. Um, it has come up a little bit in the legendary film Shin Godzilla. Maybe the next time the that next, it comes the next up, the next big one, which I know I haven't seen yet, but I know that does deal yeah. with a big thing. Like again, not necessarily nuclear option, yeah. but very, very similar stuff. And I feel like you know you kind of get those overtones a little bit within um, again, not necessarily the the specific nuclear stuff, but more so like the creating the weapon right. that like could alter. Like we just talked about it in in uh, against Mechagodzilla. There's right. that aspect. I think that aspect also exists a little bit in. So there's still in, shades in, of it, definitely in of stuff, the super weapon. Yeah, in and... in uh, it, it exists and stuff like again that kind of, you know, we talked about like in hanging over, like kind of even. Uh, 
Megagiris two with the kind of the history of Godzilla mm-hmm. in that movie, uh, the way that it's presented. So stuff like that. I do feel like it's more so. I think that you're right in that fifty four is very much like this. That's what the movie is. Whereas I feel like any other movies that has like the nuclear thing, it's more like a thing that kind of slightly hangs over characters or hangs over the movie and like the importance of that to Japan and the importance of using that, mm-hmm. you know, going through that, which was like, again, like the whole cold war in and of itself, which right. is what pr- is what's presented a little bit in 84. It's just like, you know, we've used those atomic weapons. We've had this attack in Japan with, with the, you know, the atomic weapons or Godzilla, whatever it may be. And y- using those weapons again is a big deal. Right. And um, I feel like that's like kind of where more that nuclear thematic kind of turned to. So, one of the interesting kind of debates that I've heard, um, especially after King of the Monsters came out, the um, was that there was this slight um, debate and concern with some people that uh, there was a, con- a small group of people who thought I don't want to say small group of people that sounds dismissive, but there was a group of people who felt that um, that the legendary films, which are you know the American films. Uh, had treated the nuclear element of Godzilla with uh, a little more um, freely and not as because I guess the feeling being that Godzilla, which was born out of like basically like this representation of like this tragedy and basically a warning sign to like be like this is like the analogy for these are the dangers of nuclear warfare, where there has been the argument that the legendary movies. While not necessarily have being like pro nuclear warfare, has definitely not have taken the decision not to quite villainize it as much. And there's definitely the movies definitely like to blow up a nuke is it was is what people are getting at. And to, in 2014, there was like definitely the spe, like the slight spectacle of like blowing up the nuke and in all the way in King of the Monsters, in which the nuke was the thing that awoken the creature. So there were some implications of like, is this betraying that original uh, um, thematic? Now I have a couple thoughts about that. I want to hear kind of what your take on it. That's one of those analysis analyses um, that basically kind of forgets the rest of the context of what's going I, I 100% on. I 100% agree. I mean, because there, there's stuff that happens all the time in film analysis where they're like, well, what about this? And it's like, well, there's more context to it. Because mm. you got to remember that like, yes, they do blow up the nuke in 2014, but they also are like, shoot, we're going to blow up this nuke in the middle of a city. And this is not good. Like basically like this is essentially like this is not the right thing to do. Right. Because it is just basic. literally, literally uh, Sarazawa has he he has the watch yeah. from the, the 1954 disaster. Right. And the, their whole thing was like at the, you know, in the final san francisco battle is yeah. like they're they're gonna like you know there's the plan it was like we're gonna blow up this nuke and then basically you know context arises and now that that nuke is a mistake and they have to get that nuke as far away as possible right so it yeah does not do the damage yeah and that's like on the whole thing where it's like yes that even is maybe even stronger where it's like we think at the end of the day these nukes you know whether it's you know having them is going to eventually benefit us in some way when mm-hmm. it really like the, the nuke is the end of things. Mm-hmm. The nuke is the last resort. That basically means we're blowing, you know, this is just like things aren't working out. Yeah. And the fact that like that's, they realize that in that moment in 2014, when they do have, they're basically like this nuke is armed. We can't disarm it. Right. And it's going to blow up. We made a mistake here. Right. And, 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 and then the and whole, also the legendary movies have constantly 
framed the use of nuclear weapons in the basically as a shorthand for humanity humanity meddling with nature. I mean, and Doherty, I, I saw this Doherty talk about it on Twitter where someone asked him, like, you know, um, even with the like the oxygen destroyer option, right? Which is yeah, kinda, yeah, you know, nuclear esque in in many ways in the right. way that's presented. And someone asked him, like, would Godzilla have beaten Gazora in that fight had they not used the, you know, oxygen destroyer? Right, yeah. And Doherty basically said, yeah, no, that, and that's, exactly, again, the example of man's meddling within within nature is that, like, Godzilla had that in hand. That the, the man does not trust that and uses his ultimate weapon, yeah. in, in which case, again, it blows everything up in the face because what happens after they use the weapon, their main source of combat against Ghidorah, which is Godzilla basically, you know, seemingly dies. Right. And then Ghidorah takes over and awakens all these other monsters. Right. And and, and it basically like much like how, you know, we we use the nukes, you know, America used the nukes in World War Two to basically end that end World War Two. Right. And, you know, at the time people were like, well, this is the only option. But what did it lead to? It led to basically, you know, thirty years 30, 40 years of basically like, you know, games of chicken and near misses of, of nuclear war. Yeah. So it's basically like it, it it literally like you know, it when we use the nukes in, in reality, it kind of awoke that sleeping giant of just like, well now this is our life. Right. Where yeah. we're doing that. And then in King of the Monsters it does that kind of literally where it awakes the giant. Well, but go back to even twenty fourteen where twenty the all the major spots of tragedy you can infer are like, you know, the Mutos are going to a nuclear power plant and the fact that man is meddling with that type of energy right, in the first it, place is basically summoning them like moths to the flame. And very much so, it's also that basically like they've had this all this waste and they're just essentially hiding it underground to like, you know, kind of hide it or get rid of it, mm-hmm. which is something that you can't, once you kind of unlock these this nuclear power, yeah. you can't put it away. No, it's you always you, you gotta can't. Be there. And it, it's like, you know, it's like the chernobyl thing like the thing about like chernobyl like blows my mind is like that event happened and that's just like a dead part of the planet like it's just like you just you can't get it back at least not in our lifetime right but until uh matthew broderick is is yeah until he just goes right in and (laughs) and discovers the chernobyl so uh, i to kind of wrap up this section uh what i wanted to say about like the legendary films i think you're 100 percent right i think it's a level of like uh of context too i think that especially in king of the monsters i think people um maybe miss some of the nuances of that because it's otherwise a very beautiful heroic scene but there are implications to that though it's not necessarily a scene saying like and now we're going to offer the greatest gift of nuclear weaponry to our god it's it's mostly i think the implication of that scene as the movie has said many times that the nuclear weapons are kind of are meddling with it has kind of caused a lot of this stuff um, it, this is really kind of like the man returning, like uh, essentially returning this thing that he, he never should have meddled with, like the flame that he stole from the from the gods and bringing it back. And like, and again, a little bit of it is sure. Plot wise, are we using that yeah. shorthand to get the plot going? Yeah, but I, I don't necessarily get the sense that you know that they are glorifying no. it at all because. No it's all centered around like a huge sacrifice like the right. character that arguably is the most likable character in the franchise at that point 
uh, we're we're losing you're, we're losing that character. So, and um, otherwise, I think that the movies really uh, frame the nuclear weaponry in, in the best way. And just because they're blowing up the nukes and using the nukes, I don't think that that is. Um, I don't think you can necessarily say that is pro. That means pro nuclear stuff, All right? Um, and the other thing uh, to say about it, though, and I think this is kind of a bigger point to make, is that you know. I think we also have to realize is that we don't necessarily have the same cultural context for nuclear weaponry and nuclear yes, energy anymore. Yes, and that's something that yeah. really colors so much of how the the Japan films present their nuclear stuff because they were the victims of, you know, this great tragedy, probably one of the greatest tragedies. Right. Uh, you know, the that man has put against man in terms of, of in terms of that warfare in terms of bombing you know because it was such a very specific you know option and bomb that was just the you know, world has never seen before right and the fact that like how much that i mean and, and like if you know anything about japanese culture in general how much their actions in world war Two have affected how that country step forward after that is huge it, right it, it, where they're still feeling you know the implications of all the kind of political and and cultural fallout that came from all that literal fallout that happened mm-hmm. that was a terrible no you were, you were actually you were actually doing it good <laughs> i felt i felt a little bit off but yeah I guess no I'll no no you, i was following it um, i was following but but it, it does color the way that characters talk about the nuclear weapons sure, in those yeah. movies and obviously like it colors 54 so heavily and 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 again what makes that film so culturally emotional is the fact that like it's being you know portrayed by you know a japanese artist and stuff like that yeah definitely. But, I, but i do yeah. feel like and i mean this is kind of getting more into even how we'll talk about our second kind of thematic aspect but in terms of how like these you know these people are making the decisions how they take those you know nuclear weapons and how they discuss them is is always an important part like i think about 84 a whole lot right in that regard again that scene might be awkward of it's like the nuclear weapons but i mean the point of that scene where the japanese prime minister is talking to his american and, and russian counterparts is just like how heavily he takes that use of nuclear weapons toll because he knows how it's affected his people sure but 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 at the same time what i was also getting at is that just culturally uh, even though we take it serious it, we just don't quite treat it as the boogeyman that it it, it once was like you know i think oh, oh, we're yeah, all like post-cold war yeah we're all you know, kind of we're, aware we're kind of, of the we, dangers we kind but... of flirt with like you know people using nukes in this day and age but like kind of there's a sense that, like, with an American eyes, general American eyes, that, like, oh, like, the, the Cold War and the, the nuclear kind of, like, you know, one one against the other and, and, you know, kind of mutual, you know, destruction is, like, that's a thing of, like, you know, the 80s. That's a thing of, like, that war games and stuff. Like, they they solved that issue. War games finished that issue. Right, yeah, yeah. But it was more so, like, you know, it's still, like, something that we kind of just see. And, and also the way that... In general, movies are done and media is done here that it's just kind of always used in sure. different contexts Listen, in, that, I, in that way. Listen, I think that there is some well-intentioned validity to being wary of, you know, when the original 1954 Godzilla is born out of this analogy for the bombings on, you know, Hiroshima, that when the Americans do a movie of it, 
the treatment of nuclear weapons is definitely a valid thing to put an eye on. Yeah. I definitely get that, but I do think that there are but you know, there's a level of like I said there's some the devil is in the details and then also let's not forget as we move on to our next subject is that just within like I said it was mostly in that first film but Toho themselves uh really kind of like lessened how important that was as a thematic pretty much right out of the gate almost like you know there's a little bit in raids again but by the time they do king kong versus godzilla now they're just full-on into the oh monster on monster action so you know i think that there's a level of that it comes up every now and then and um but it, it, it's not quite i don't find it to be quite as the defining factor that people will often say that godzilla is i think that it's an yeah. important thing that birthed the creature but i don't think it's the only form of identity that the king of the monsters has taken uh, or represents Especially now. Especially like considering how much that cr- the cr- the character of Godzilla has has evolved over time within all three of its eras. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all, uh, we've explored so far. Yeah, I know we're like just in the in the birth of a new era, but like in terms of like, I mean like the nuclear thing. Like by the time you get to even like you know even destroy all monsters, where again it's maybe mentioned briefly, but by the time you're getting to destroy all monsters where those movies have just turned into something completely different. Right, right. And then you get like right after that it's like, you know, some, um uh, all monsters attack, Gigan, you know, right. uh Megalon into Mechagodzilla, all those movies like are just basically like more so based on that monster in action and have the different thematics that it pulls. Well, uh, speaking of those different thematics, thanks for segueing me into that. We'll talk about the next uh, category of thematics that I believe that Godzilla really touches upon, and this is the biggest inspiration for our villain deep dive episode on the James Bond side, uh, that I want to talk a little bit about thematically uh the relationship between Godzilla and politics and society and just the 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 culture as is in a lot of just like those aspects of culture society and politics um and um one of the things that really made me inspired to talk about this specifically is this very unique reading of the Godzilla films really like mostly in the Showa era of of films that has kind of had shades going into the Hasey films. But really, I think post-Godzilla versus, uh, or King Kong versus Godzilla, and primarily starting in, I think, Ghidra, the three-headed monster, there's been this very unique reading that um, if the 1954 thematics are really about, you know, a representation of the United States bombing uh, Japan and the dangers that came out of that and the uh, fallout of that. Um, that, let's be real, Toho is just like any studio, for profit. Yeah, <laughs> They're trying to make these movies. They want the big bucks with making these movies. That's why they went into the... They gotta the, get the moolah. Yeah, and that's why they went into crossing over with monsters and monsters fighting each other. And, and we've talked about that I don't think that Godzilla was necessarily the most prized possession as it, it was definitely a... IP that they had that they wanted to use, but there wasn't as much reverence for it. So they're like, "Oh well, let's just let's just make him fight silly monsters." So there yeah, is like a like level I said, like of those that. early show of films. What makes it so exciting to watch those is it's like they could basically do whatever they wanted, they, right? They could whatever movie they wanted to make, whoever they wanted to use. Yeah, yeah, and I do think that that was the primary, uh, you know, 
um, focus of those films and yeah. like the direction of the franchise in that self. But if we're talking about culturally and like uh, looking back on what these films have meant um, retroactively, there has been this reading that if 54 was the representation of America uh, and their bombings, that the rest of the, most of the Showa era that that thematic never really went away, but if anything evolved into this new thematic of of Godzilla still representing America uh, and the power and like the over the big dangerous power of America that it's this big clumsy force, but more so often than not is still fighting on the side of good. Yeah, and therefore like kind of like still if there's a bigger evil still comes in and like you know plays interference and everything um and so there i ever since i heard that aspect that that reading of it i did find that to be maybe one of the most fascinating things especially going into the showa era that godzilla uh still uh, represents uh essentially they're saying that he represents america as being like a, a destruct a still destructive force that often still finds its side generally on the side of good mm. so i don't know have you ever heard i've never that? heard that it's interesting yeah and, and i don't believe- know if it totally works but i think like if you you could read into it and, and make some decisions well it that. definitely the reason it doesn't it, it doesn't fully track only because if you look at the films by films but when you take the films like uh uh, three-headed monster or destroy all monsters you can definitely apply it selectively to to the to some of those films because in some of those films he's still just like a big monster and he's fighting a lobster yeah. um but i do find that uh I, I i definitely find that to be an interesting reading especially when you take like the more uh worldwide view view of the subject um but i would say that and i think we can both agree on this one definitely is that i godzilla never really got specifically political or cultural in terms of its representation until hidora until uh, unless you would say there's a movie before that i think there's like i said there's a little tiny aspects of it that's here and there like what would you say like just like some of the stuff about again people discussing like nuclear options and kind of the more kind of governmenty stuff that's in like raids again and um, sure sure and, and, but, and Ghidorah. um but i would say that Hedora would be the first time that we've kind of moved away from strictly the nuclear stuff and now we're talking about bigger societal global political issues yeah i guess that's that's not i mean all monsters attack to talk about bullying. So yeah, um, but it's like, but there. I mean, there is kind of a, a sense of that that there are shades of like you know, there's this latchkey kid with like you know, with a mom that's like never home and you know he has to fend for himself and it's all. I mean, because essentially the whole thing is an anti-bullying, yeah, uh, you know, thing. I, now I think that you know Ichiro takes the wrong lesson at the end yes, of the, at the film, but uh, but. But no, but you're you right. can't you can't look over that part. And the reason I say Hedora is because Hedora was the f- first time. I where mean, like it was the, specifically the creator, like, like it was really the first time since Honda did fifty four, where like the creator of that movie was coming in with a very specific point of view and a theme that he really wanted to hammer home. Because like I guess like Raids Again also kind of is in that realm. But basically everything right after King Kong, like everything after. You know, King Kong onwards is very much, you know, has its thematics, has its things that it explores, but very much kind of focuses in on that monster action. Where yeah, it's but, like, but I would Hedora say... Whereas yeah. like has the um, the environmentalism aspect of it. Yes. It has the youth versus old aspect of yeah, it. And, uh-huh. and 
and that one kind of plays a little bit more thematically into something a bit different. And then, um, and then when you move on to, I would say like a film like Gigan, um, I think that there are shades in that movie of like uh, the villains, uh, like almost like co-opting like you know government, not government, but more so like big entertainment with like the Godzilla park and like yeah. oh utilizing in a way no, capital children's fun land with just the Godzilla <laughs> it was not a whole Godzilla theme park no. it was just Godzilla tower yeah, and there's right. still no reason they needed to build it but no I, well and again and remember there was even shades of that in the original Mothra versus Godzilla with right. uh, the, where they were the, going to build the theme park around, around yeah, yeah around the egg but, but that but that's like yeah but that's kind of gets into that aspect where like you know the businessman and the, the greediness but what's interesting about Godzilla was that was specifically that it was aliens using that as a front that they were using the Godzilla tower and they were using like um, the uh, they they were just using this front of being like oh this big fun land for the kids and everything and we're gonna create like this seemingly like uh, this uh, beacon of entertainment and capitalism and then it's uh, actually like the front for aliens and yeah. and I think that and again I think it's all these ways that Godzilla is starting to incorporate wider um, be- because even you're right in, in Mothra versus Godzilla that is the well no even before that in King Kong versus right with Godzilla the, with, the, with the with the the TV guy yeah like wants the, King Kong for his, his network right and and that and they became very transparent about you know being silly about that that like this is a very transparent like isn't it silly like this guy is trying to get King Kong back to the island to, yeah. to get his big scoop um so I I do think that they're slowly throughout the Showa era we're seeing uh, Godzilla incorporate these elements of yeah. and then and then even with Ghidorah the three-headed monster and then when you move forward into the terror of Mecha God not terror of Mecha Godzilla Godzilla against Mecha Godzilla now you're starting to incorporate real world espionage and and political um machinations with like in Ghidorah the whole uh the princess thing uh which you know doesn't necessarily uh you know play itself into the plot but definitely the whole like there's an assassin trying to kill a princess is central yeah to that plot so you see over the course of the showa era that godzilla is injecting uh is moving away strictly from the nuclear elements and injecting more of these real world everyday issues uh into its which into is its just plot. like that's how the franchise needs to evolve yeah definitely and i think that there's i mean aspects of it too within all those other movies it just kind of slowly pops in and out you're right. um you know, because it's like even like you know, stuff like like a Bira, you have like kind of this this slavery aspect, and then to yeah, like you know, yeah, kind of like kind of like you know, honestly, like it not something not far removed from like you know a Nazi s group taking over this island yeah. for their own nefarious. Well, purposes. and remember, it's a slave trade because they're getting infant islanders too. That yes. is also the implication yeah. that they're bringing infant islanders and they're literally ferrying them on a boat to this island to like what was it like the the juice? Yeah, what was that? That that was that what they were after? Yeah. The juice in that one, right? Or no, the juice was King Kong versus Godzilla. No, 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 no there was also juice in this yeah. one. Okay, so yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, it was both. <laughs> yeah, um, um, and then like, but yeah, you know, that definitely is in there. Like again, we talked about like how Son of Godzilla, like the weather machine, kind of has nuclear aspects to it, but it's also just again, just sort of that similar, just kind of ecosystem and and how shifting like an ecosystem and shifting around like experimentation right. can co- totally like alter things in ways that we can never truly understand and. 
Um, to a lesser everyday aspect thing, also Abira. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Abira like really stood out as like, all right, our characters are going to be like just these normal dudes and a guy who's a thief, right? Yes. Whereas yeah. like most of the time, it was like either reporters or scientists or yeah. But that's like, yeah. that's all the other thing that 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 the Showa era slowly gets into is that like yes, it kind of continues the reporters and the scientists thing, but you do get more and more of like the everyday kind of characters, the everyday Joe Smoes and right. and Lucy Lou's, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Lucy Liu in a uh, in a Godzilla. Yeah, she'd be great in one of these movies. She'd be great. Uh, but like, but I but I, but I do think that like the Showa era like kind of like comes in and out of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know you just kind of get like crazy shit going on mm-hmm. all over the place. Well, it's, it, it is interesting because you're right. It, it's more of that. You know, they are. 100% prioritizing the entertainment factor of that. But I do think there is this subconscious, like, you know, because it's not as poignant. We're not trying to make a big, uh, like, um, yeah. like, you know, point about the, uh, about the nuclear thing. So they're mostly just subconsciously bringing in more yeah. everyday real right, world cause, issues. Cause you look at those first couple, you remember if you remember those early Godzilla movies, you talked about how there's always like a boardroom meeting somewhere, some right. Government official or some group that's going to do that. And by the end of the Showa era, that stuff kind of really fades off into the distance. And right. You really don't see government involvement in any of those later Showa eras where it comes back with a vengeance in Haiti. Right, where right. That, where that whole era is basically about, you know, because you, you also get like, again, the early movies really deal with the Japanese military. And right. the whole thing about the Japanese military is a whole other discussion. Right, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Definitely uh, how uh, Godzilla relates to the military. And, but it's also just like yeah. how Japan's real life culture. And the rea- again, the reaction to World War II kind of colors how they have a defense force, but they they because the whole thing about Japan and and I may get some details wrong, but basically Japan is set up to just have a defensive force mm-hmm. in its army, but does not have the capability or or chooses not to have the capability to have an attack force, right, right, where they basically are able to defend themselves but do not want to invade, right, um, and that basically comes up a lot in the Godzilla films, and I kind of think about because I I was thinking about. You know, we're talking about the politics of it too. Yeah, we're talking about the everyday politics. And it's great that you, real quick, that you brought up Hasey because the one thing I'll say before you know getting into your point is like Hasey is definitely when we start getting political with like you know we start getting a very more much more poignant with more of like the ethical questions of real life and definitely a lot of the politics. You you get into like the a lot of the ethical tamperings, whether it be in a biolanti or when you get into Ghidorah, which I think may be the most political of the Hasey films. Yeah. Um, but anyway, well, so, but the point you were making... I was going to say that, like, because I, I wanted to start getting into, like, the more, like, more governmental politics yeah, yeah, and yeah. kind of the world-based politics, because I was thinking about how these films kind of do different things with kind of how the the politics and how government responds and how government comes in, plays... And there's this different, a lot of different aspects you can talk about. Like one I wanted to, to get to, um, it's not like the biggest one, but one I've always, kind of thought about kind of as a common thematic is this idea that like, you know, Japan within this context of this world has these giant creatures uh, or these aliens coming in or whatever it may be. And like you're, you have, you know, these, these people, these, these officials that are making, you know, have to make big decisions that do affect the entire world. Right. Like, um, 
a, a very small example of it. Like it's really throwaway in the movie, but it actually was something I was really thinking about. Again, it's not a movie that's really that great, but again, all these movies, even if the movie's not great, there is always a thematic element to discuss. It's whether or not, like, like in All Monsters Attack, like the bullying thing, it's an element to discuss whether or not it succeeds within the right. Movie. No, absolutely. But I was, I, was I mean, we about, did just we did talk about GMK not that long ago, which yeah. is ripe with things to talk about yeah. and does not necessarily work. Um, but I was thinking about how, like, in Invasion of Astral Monster, yeah, um, there's that whole the whole the whole plot line where the aliens offer them these free alien like these these free, you know, this this the thing, cures the cures the everything yeah. Uh, and basically, Japan makes a decision. We're gonna go for it, and it backfires on them fully. Mm-hmm. They basically make like you know they make the decision of like okay, yeah, we're gonna go for it, and then they basically give the aliens the world. And there is actually like a headline in that newspaper headline thing that basically has said like you know Japan basically dooms the world. Right? Yeah, yeah. But they yeah. made this big time decision like we're gonna cure all diseases, and now have completely you know doomed the world. And I think it's a it's a aspect that comes up. In '84, when you, again in that scene where the, the the government official has like the permission from both Americans and Russians to like use nukes, and his whole thing was like, "Well, if I do this, this is gonna, you know, this is a decision on me, and it's gonna, you know, right? Would you do the same to your own countries? Because mm-hmm. this is a big decision that's going to affect us all." And when you talk about like, uh, you know, the the Hasty Era Ghidorah movie, you know, you really have like. This is just this few groups of people like that are choosing to go back in time to seemingly change, you know, change history and, and right, prevent yeah. Godzilla from going in. They're these ones that are making this decision that, within the reality, does create and basically create a new menace. That they they feel like, well, we're doing this thing for the benefit of our society, for the benefit of mankind. We're gonna have this no giant monster in our in our world, when in fact they create something even worse right, in, in right. Ghidorah. And I feel like that's kind of something that you know kind of pops up, and it's where like. Where in some of those movies, like like a, like a Ghidorah, you have these these big decisions of like, do we use the nukes until the fairies convince them not to, or in Dottorial Monsters where they basically brush away the that thing. You do kind of forget that, you know, the the gods of movies that remember that you are dealing with an entire world here mm-hmm. uh, is always are always the very interesting ones, and it, it comes up again and again. Where we talked about it in that episode, just about how when they present, you know. Mechagodzilla as his ultimate weapon, there's this kind of like reaction, like what what did we just make? Right. And, and stuff and, like that. Well, and then speaking of uh, the 91 uh, versus Ghidorah Hasey film, like that is twofold with it because you have, that is uh, like I would say the most political film that it is because you have the element of, you know, the Futurians are coming back in time and then uh, the two other Futurians um because uh, it's Emmy and then the other two, and then they are basically they hatch this plan because in the future, it's implied that Japan is this big, you know, kind of government monopoly yeah. um, over everybody else. So there's like implications of that, and you know, and I had mentioned in that episode that I don't think that the movie really effectively, even though I like it, uh, but I don't think I think that there's a few. Uh, there's a few loose ends to to that idea. Yeah, that it doesn't they, really fulfill that idea to its yeah, fullest. But, but also at the same time, there is this other uh, plot line to the movie where, you know, we have the old general who um, witnesses the Godzillasaurus yeah. and uh, he survives the attack and then he goes and there's this theme that people talk about in this movie that, you know, Godzilla has spared his life and then he, this uh, this veteran, has gone on to live a life of, you know, basically being this company man and this head of capitalism that is, the insinuation is, will lead 
lead Japan to being, um, you know, this big uh, monopoly that that uh, people fear. Now, you know, the specifics of the implications of what that means. What is the movie trying to say about that? And it's also like, like, how much is it like these? How much are these even these Futurians telling the truth about it? Or right. is there something where it's like, you know. Is there something more to what their future? But holds? you do feel like that there is, like the movie's definitely speaking on these things yes, because yeah. there's definitely oh, a yeah, sense yeah, yeah. of like when Godzilla comes up to the window and faces him, like you know, and it leads to one of the best scenes in the in the franchise where you know this guy is essentially you know submitting to it, and is is it a submission of guilt? Is it a submission of just like well, you know, you know these tragedies always come back around? Is yeah. does Godzilla remember him? Is you know is in a certain way is all of this because remember if if, if I remember the uh, the specifics of the movie correctly, he's also. Uh, you know, a guy like he's ready to pull the nuclear trigger again to create a new Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So like he, this, he's basically one. He's he used to be a soldier on the ground fighting with Godzilla. His life is spared, and now he's gotten basically to the top of the corporate ladder and has this power that you know he's just as ready to make all the same mistakes again. Yeah, and I think that in a way that that is regardless of the specifics of how well um the uh, movie ties all that together. I think it's the first big major step that uh, Godzilla is officially becoming like a political analogy rather than yeah. uh, the, um, you know, the, the nuclear analogy that we talked about more. And then even the millennium era films like really become political too. Yeah. And because with G, uh, not well, GMK a little bit, but I was going to talk, we just talked about against Mecha Godzilla, but Mega Gearis, uh, they talk about these real world ramifications of what our world leaders and our scientists do in the wake of a yeah. tragedy like Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then GMK, as we said, like you know, despite our feelings about that, heavily talks about that that kind of stuff where Godzilla becomes more of the analogy for uh, the events, the, the these world events. Um, yeah. And I and so there there's a level. So it, it is interesting to see. Um, Godzilla make that um, that transition. What what and as we kind of like close out like that portion. What what would you think is like? Wh- why do you think that is? Why do you think that he's gone from like you know more of that nebulous like because we kind of talked about that it's the nuclear thing and then they play with uh, there's this transitional period in the Showa era of it kind of like using shades of all of these ideas but then in the Hasey films because I would say ultimately the Hasey films are much more pointed and now yeah. these movies are definitely about something so what like what would you think what would you say is the transition between that is it just because the nuclear thing isn't as scary anymore or is it um, I mean I actually think it's a lot more to do with the behind the scenes, I think, than anything else, both right. from a cultural perspective and from the studio perspective. Because when you're making, like, you know, you remember, like, most of those original Godzilla movies have all, like, you know, rotate directors around. And, like, like Hedorah is so politically charged in the way it is because it's a very different, specific creator that got this one chance to do a Godzilla movie because, like, you know, he was the thing. And what happened with that one? The, the you know, the main producer saw it in a hospital bed thought it was crazy and not liked it. And then the next one, 
it does go back to the nuclear thing because the in the megalon the not it's not sorry megalon's not the next one gigan's the next one mm-hmm. but basically like it's back to being like yes there's the thematics of what the aliens do but essentially that is like okay we introduce a new monster yeah and it's basically this like okay because well, remember in gigan the aliens came down and even admitted like this planet's still not perfect because you guys kind of screwed it up yeah. but it'll do <laughs> and <laughs> so then like Ma- and then that. after that like megalon is again just throw it in three weeks and yeah you know Throw a little bit of nukes into like, oh, this is why the Cetopians hate everybody. Mm, right, right, right. But once you get to the Hasty era, I think there's a couple transitions that are made. I think like again, like the the whole Hasty era is Toho consciously being like, well, we're 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 reintroducing this Godzilla figure. We're we're trying to kind of re bring him back into the pop culture eye after being kind of out of commission for about you know eight ten years or whatever it was at that point. And I just think that there was just a lot more effort and the directors at that time, you know, had a little bit more of a focus and just in terms of even that influence from, you know, kind of American cinema and, and, and what else was happening in the world of film. Whereas like Toho in that Showa era was basically, again, just putting out these movies and just whatever happened to be out there was mm-hmm. out there. I, I think the biggest difference of where Godzilla thematically goes is culturally uh, how uh J- Toho in Japan treated their approach to these movies. Yes, and I exactly. think that the biggest thing is in 1954, um, they were very much, um, for lack of a better word, term, like kind of were portrayed as the victims. And that was a decision by them. And, you know, there's a lot of that, you know, in the movies, they there's no pointed like, oh, like the Americans, uh, like, you know, like this it was all an analogy. It wasn't like the Americans were the villain in the original 1954 Godzilla. And in many ways, uh, Toho in Japan didn't create a bad guy other than this fictional one. They didn't point the fingers that this was anybody. And in fact, mm-hmm. in the movie, they kind of made it a broader, like worldwide issue of just man meddling and like the dangers of this in general. Like, yeah. it's not like, oh, uh, woe is us because this happened to us. It's more of like, look at the dangers of this. Don't worry about pointing the fingers. Don't do this. And, you know, we're going to, you know, play a little bit meek on that. Just worry about this message that we're doing. Forward to 1954, or not 1954, uh, 19, 1984, right? I'm yeah, saying that right. Yeah, 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 1984. And uh, the return of Godzilla, where there is this very on the opposite side of Russia and America are these dumb, like, little boys playing with their, like, you know, playing playing with their... Boys with toys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, but they're they're basically, you know, playing this, like, uh, this game of you know, of the Cold War. The game of chicken that yeah. was the Cold War. And, uh, and decidedly, it's Japan putting them in their place. So there is this sense that the culture, at least within the context of these movies, is taking a much more... Um, you know, a, a much more of a stance than yeah. it used to. And yeah. I think that, yeah. and oh, the reason I brought that up is because I think that with this, with that movie, even though we both agree that's the weakest of the, the Hasey films, is that it really represented a new mindset going forward where these movies were definitely going to take more of a stance, be a lot more reflexive on the ideas that it was touching upon. And we see that with, um, you know, the Mothra has like the whole being reflexive of family and, 
um, I would say that Space Godzilla and um, Mecha Godzilla like kind of are that whole value of life and the spirituality and stuff. Yeah. And then Destroy is kind of like a combination of everything in the Hazy film. And yeah. then we've already talked about Ghidorah. Biolanti is like the meddling with science. Um, but then also has some political ramifications of the assassins uh, trying in the, the different world scientists being like, we can't let the the, the Japan uh, scientists get ahead of us in this like uh, science race or whatever. So there was a little bit of that. Yeah. So there definitely was, as uh, Godzilla thematically moves into the more worldwide politics and social um, analogies, I that, do have that's where that came from. I two think. more things to speak on, like the general politics aspect. Yeah, this. absolutely. One, one is that I think the other thing that happens within 84 that really helps the transition is that it's that return of Godzilla as, like, an enemy figure. Right. Because I do think that, like, yes, they do play with the thematics, but, like, once Godzilla becomes the heroic figure of Japan in kind of those later half Showa movies, it's just it's kind of hard to kind of really focus yourself in on, like, you know, certain thematic aspects yes yeah. when you're kind of rooting for the giant lizard to like kill the that's other monster. true and because we're not we're again we'll leave the the military specifically for another one but the hasty film decidedly takes a more like it's constantly the military trying to take care of godzilla whereas when you think about the showa films it, that doesn't happen in every showa era film like, because most of the time they're, like, kind of on an island somewhere. Yeah. So it's never, like, oh, like, the government's trying to take them down. Whereas in the Hasey film, like, almost, I think every movie has, like, tanks are shooting at yeah. Godzilla. Yeah. The other thing I was going to mention, I was going to mention politically, like, like stuff stuff about the, the Miki character. But maybe it fits more in the... What were you going to say? I was just going to say that, like, in terms of the politics, and in terms of, like, you know, how... I think like what's what's really interesting about the evolution of the Miki character is that it's very much like representative of like the aspects of something where like you know when someone when someone enters a war basically on based on politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And because like Miki starts out like she's just like a regular psychic, she joins this G force and in Ghidorah she you know basically takes this mission to go back in time. Yeah. And in Mothra she's you know, makes a cameo but she's essentially like pure part of the g-force now Mm -hmm. but then once you get to like i think what's interesting is that because miki is the one where within those films politically like godzilla is the enemy and when you have the character like in biolanti like that other general that's like his focus is on you know killing him and everybody's like yeah well yeah you gotta kill him but by the time you get to like you know mecha godzilla 2 and space godzilla and that kind of and destroya Mm -hmm. what's really interesting about miki is how that how she transitions in her approach to godzilla because in those first couple movies, yeah, Godzilla's the enemy, and they gotta you know figure out the whatever way to to basically get out rid of it. Right. Once you get the Mecha Godzilla two, you know Miki is tasked with okay, where Godzilla has his second brain, gotta cripple it, and then you know she basically starts going for it, but then makes that decision to basically mm-hmm. like never mind, Godzilla, yeah. go to your kid. Then, whereas she has reluctance in Mecha Godzilla two, in Space Godzilla, she's wholly out of like I don't want to control. Godzilla and right. maybe more so does it initially for her own sake of curiosity but more so it's like this is wrong Godzilla is a creature just like you and me and we right. shouldn't like you know just like in a war or in a, in a war you eventually kind of say well these are also people mm-hmm. and then by the time you get to uh, Destroya Miki is completely sympathetic for these monsters and when Godzilla is dying you know nobody else bats an eye right you know more so than like we got to protect the people but Miki realizes like well just like this is a creature this is something we should she care says about. goodbye to the creature yeah. ultimately and, and it, we have that scene we have that scene in um 
Destroya, where she's talking to basically her future replacement and how that future replacement has none of that sympathy right. and none of that experience with these monsters for the point where she does just view it as a job. Mm-hmm. And Miki's is like, no, there is more to this. There's more to life than just fighting this enemy. Well, there's that tragedy of that, you know, and now there's the implications that she's kind of like losing a little bit of her psychic ability. So there's kind of like this lifespan that she went through. Yeah. Uh, that, and then there's kind of this tragedy of like, well, what was this all for? And I, and I'm actually, no, I'm glad you brought this up because I think that the thematic it's really touching on because we talk about what Godzilla represents, but we're talking more broadly about these movies and, I think that what the Hasey films give us thematically through char- through a character is um, this kind of um, this journey through the eyes of one individual character of you're right being somebody who is just kind of like has a specialty uh, engages in the engages in the cultural battle and then therefore gets into the government because it's more so through the government in Ghidorah and then becomes a part of the military yeah. and then I think that throughout all of these films we see the nuances of what that can do to a person yeah. so and mm-hmm. it, it is interesting and for the Hasey films that I think that are definitely more culturally and politically savvy in terms of like what they're trying to speak on. And it's interesting that each of those films speaks on something different, but you do have this through line of one character that is entirely consistent. And I do think that's what really the Hasey era, what separates it from all the other eras, is because the Hasey era is so focused on its continuity. Right. And really being each movie as sequels to each other, it does make those thematics kind of run through. Uh, different movies actually very interestingly yeah it, it, it's as opposed to like again the Showa era and the Millennium era which is essentially like you know like the Showa era was again kind of that hyper time type of continuity where things could exist if they needed to but not didn't really need to yeah it just was like each movie could be a reset or could just be a general like this is another adventure and, it, it's and, a, and then the Millennium Era, every movie's a reset so every movie has its own distinct focus right it's a good way of being able to uh, be very wide in in their approach to all these social and political themes, while also in a weird way tying them together uh, thematically as yeah. well. It, it, it's I think it's a very delicate balance that I think the Hasey era uh, really nails, and that brings us into our final category of thematics. And I think the most interesting one is I want to talk about how Godzilla has gone from nuclear thematics to worldwide political and social thematics to this reverence that we have for the for the creature now because i think as we've seen in our last couple movies we have seen godzilla almost take up this uh this mantle of being more than anything you know uh, human bound and like especially within the legendary movies we've seen a lot more of godzilla being synonymous with the the almighty and like you know have and i've talked about it many yeah. times on the show is that uh, now Godzilla is repres- is in in some ways representing not only nature or technology or weapons, but also in a way like uh, God in a way without you know bearing the lead on it. So I wanted to talk about because the reason I wanted to bring this up because it there this has come up a little bit like in the spirit the spirituality and the myth that's attached to Godzilla, um, and it's come up in other films such as like Biolanti and Mothra. Somewhat there's some spirituality that they touch upon in there. Uh, Mechagodzilla two I think heavily touches upon like the spirituality that's brought from these creatures. GM 
GMK does a little bit against Mecha Godzilla, kind of touches upon it with like the remains of Godzilla awakening yeah. in Kiryu. Um, and there's even some um, shades of that in Shin, where um, without spoiling it too much, there there's just some lines of people having this reverence for like the truly destructive nature of Godzilla is very godlike in in some ways. But yeah. I think. We're really seeing this more so in the um, current American and even the Reiwa era of films, where the legendary films have definitely taken this stance of relating God, relating Godzilla to old myths and supernatural legend. And I think that they were a little bit more subtle about it in the original uh, 2014 film, where they made Godzilla specifically that, you know, uh, head of the ecosystem. He represents a hurricane when he comes out of the water. He, um, the, the waves, like, you know, uh, you know flood the, flood the islands and, and stuff like that. And in some ways, they're kind of touching upon that God thing because it's like uh, this creature coming up is basically uh, making the elements go wild. In the same way that Thor comes down, whether it be mythological Thor or Marvel Thor, <laughs> Marvel's Thor, he comes down and, you know, controls all the lightning. Godzilla comes out of the ocean and in, in many ways controls the ocean. And one of my favorite bits in 2014 is when Godzilla is and the Mutos fight in... Um, in uh in uh in san francisco uh the battle itself almost creates a whole new environment and that's something that kind of continues into king of the monsters in which i don't think doherty has made you know has made it very he's made it very transparent that uh there are definitely uh god analogies within uh the monsters i mean he he calls them the titans for crying out loud like the the actual titans of myth and then moving in and then well i I want to stop and like look at at those for a second because I do think it's interesting for a couple reasons that now relating Godzilla to myth and legend is definitely, I think, more... It's a natural evolution, but a bigger leap than what we've seen from the nuclear stuff to the political stuff. Because the nuclear stuff and the political stuff kind of like go hand in hand a little bit. Because you have just like a lot of like the real world tensions and military uh, military implications going on there. Whereas I think that one of the reasons that I think that for, there's a couple reasons. But the biggest one is that now in the modern era, you have a whole franchise and canon of Godzilla, and there's this more of a reverence for Godzilla. We've talked about how Toho has way more of a reverence for this character than it ever has before. You have fans in America, like, you know, showing their support for just like this franchise and loving this franchise. So naturally, when somebody comes on to make uh, movies, whether it be a Gareth Edwards or a Doherty or, you know, moving outside of Godzilla, Joden Vort Roberts, there is a little bit more of a these people are coming in because they love these creatures so much. So clearly their point of view is going to be a little bit more one of reverence. And it's interesting to see that um, evolve into this basically going back to that Showa era of making Godzilla the hero, but adding a little bit more of that mythic weight to it. So I think in, in some ways it's a natural progression, but way more of a, a bigger one. I think it's more so for me. Um, it's really like transitioning the spirituality to Godzilla, whereas the spirituality within this kaiju franchise, the Toho franchise, has always been on the shoulders of other monsters. 
Because really, like, we really shouldn't bury that, like, within those original films, like, Mothra is very much a spiritual guardian of Earth character, because it's not only you have these mythical fairies with her, not only does she have this kind of rebirth nature of it, but you you genuinely have, an entire in those original Shore era films, you have an entire culture that's devoted right. to, to, to Mothra. And then you, you had other examples, I think, big examples, like, King Caesar, obviously, in 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 Mecha in, in Mecha Godzilla. I like, think that's actually maybe the bigger the bigger one because you're right about the Mothra thing, but like definitely when King Caesar comes around, it's like we're summoning an ancient god yeah. that we're. That but we're I, but I also forth. think like there's there's little ones too. Whereas I think there's a certain aspect of spirituality to like you know Jet Jaguar suddenly coming to life, and there's there, there's certain sure. aspects of that within that. But now it's transitioned into. You know, making Godzilla that you know, giving him that main reverence mm-hmm. and and putting that spiritual weight on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a natural evolution for um, modernizing the legendary Godzilla because I think the thing about because if you do like the pure nuclear origin of it again, mm-hmm. you're basically doing what '98 Godzilla did would w- would have done, which is basically like here he's just. A nuke happens, you know, and then Godzilla happens. Right, and it's basically right. like you, you you really can't do it within because we just talked about how like this the view of nukes, especially in America, especially in this time period, is just different. We just have a different recollection of nukes being this kind of thing to be scared of in the past. Right. Um. Which which whether that's true or not remains to be seen or not seen if we do get nuked. Um. Dark. But. I do think that's a transition into, you know, Godzilla having relations with, you know, those nuclear attacks, but also, like, still kind of paying homage to that original kind of ancient creature, Godzilla, from mm-hmm. 54. You can't just do, like, the nuke thing again. So I think, like, you're right. The natural next transition is, like, well, he is this, like, what, you know, kind of relating it even back to, like, this ancient creature of the dinosaurs, but even more than that. You right, know, right. Greater than that. This and was this was a creature that man used to, the implications of King of the Monsters, that man used to uh, pray to the altar of Godzilla and the fact that when uh, he's hit by the ho- oxygen destroyer, this place that he's been going to is in the hollow earth, yeah. and he's been, like, you know... His his resting place is at this altar that right. that man worshipped him at, and even I think that even transitioned into like our other, um, you know, monsterverse films. Obviously, King of the Monsters for sure, but I think that's also a very strong element of Kong Skull Island. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. In many ways, of like Kong being like the god of this island, and sort of the legends of Kong and and how you know basically like you know. Where how the the hero group, how John C. Riley, and then how Jackson kind of view Kong, all have this kind of spiritual nature to it. Oh God, I can't wait to talk about that movie on this on this podcast. But I, yeah, yeah, where I think yeah, we're, but, we'll but you're but you're right because it's like because the th- thematically when it comes to this reverence. Really, it's not so much of a twist, but 2014 kind of builds up to that, oh, that's kind of what this was about. Like, that there is this level of, oh, Godzilla is going to, um, is not going to be the villain of this piece, but he's going to come and restore the natural order of things. And then, you know, by the end of the movie, he in some ways does that. And it's like. And the end of the movie is the very, where, like, you know, everybody's watching, you know, Godzilla on off. And there's this, even this within there's a kind of a cheer but there's this whole question of like is this 
something we should be celebrating. Right, right, definitely. And then you get Kong Skull Island, which kind of opens the door to like, well, maybe there's something... Not only are these just big alpha predators, maybe there's a little bit more of like how how does humanity react to something of this nature, and like it starts opening up the doors and peeling back those layers, and then King of the Monsters goes full blown with it. Yeah. Um, and but do you think that there? Sorry, were you going to say something? I before? was going to say too is that like in terms of other films in the past that have had that spiritual nature to it, I don't think we should like definitely. We need, I mean, we need to mention both Mechagodzilla 2 and Destroya because I think both of those very much have very spiritual elements. I mean, I think like Destroya is the closest that like Godzilla as kind of a spiritual creature kind of come because you mm-hmm. have the whole like death of a creature and you know, this kind of you know, kind of the, the there's a God- life force thing the going on too. Well, I mean, Mechagodzilla, like, I mean, more so, goddamn Rodan dissolves into, right. into but it's him, not, yeah. not only does like Rodan come back to life essentially, true, as, yeah, yeah, as yeah, fire Rodan, but then at the end, yes, that Rodan basically dissolves his life force into Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those, again, this kind of all it's always been there, whether it's in Godzilla or within there, or within other kaiju, I think that spiritual element of these creatures as gods has always kind of been but that's around there. But I think that you're right that these newer movies really put that emphasis on it and put it on the shoulders of, you know, our, our atomic friend. And, and I think, but that's why I think I wanted to bring up more of the reverence for it because even when I look at the, like the last handful of Godzilla films, like we have, uh, and, and you're somewhat familiar with Final Wars, and like, and, and that treats it kind of like as like a fun romp where you know Godzilla is Godzilla, but you know he's going to, you know, Power Ranger his way through all the monsters. Spoilers for that movie, but um, but then when you look at like you you look at Shin, which spoilers, he's not necessary. Well, I, I won't say too much about it, but but you look at that, and then you look at the most recent Toho effort with the anime trilogy full-on spiritual and gods and Lovecraftian myth. Like, it, it, it's full-on... Like, it's literally Godzilla. You think he's a titan in King of the Monsters? In that movie, we, they his name in the movie is Godzilla Earth. That's his designation amongst the, the canon because it's literally Godzilla is so massive and slow and powerful that he's literally one with the planet. Like, so, the, so he's literally, like... He, literally a god and uh and then they do uh, lovecraftian stuff with uh Ghidorah but the reason I bring that up is because now you have you have all as godly as it gets with Toho it's decidedly the legendary films and the American films that have really pushed that like all right but he's a good guy though like you know so they do put more of that positive reverence on the characters and in many ways all of the monsters i mean you know doherty being the specific one because he's like such like a huge fan of all of them so he presents all these monsters in a more awe-inspiring way but like i wonder like what would you what like what would you say to that is that there's like that level of like these legendary films have definitely had much more of the um, let's let's portray this guy as a hero. Whereas, like the the Toho ones of late have either been like he's a villain or he's just kind of like a force of nature that needs to be. Yeah, because really, like I mean, like again, that's something I enjoyed so much of the Showa era is seeing that transition to Godzilla as hero, and it's really something that hasn't been done since 
honestly, for us, since Terror of Mechagodzilla. Right. At most, since the Showa era ended, Godzilla has either been a destructive force of nature or neutral yeah. at in best. The, in the Toho movies. In the mean. Toho yeah. movies. Um, I do feel that, like... Like, maybe Space Godzilla is the most... He, he's, like, a hero. Yeah. But, I mean, but other than that, like, the the most recent example you get where Godzilla is Showa Godzilla is that final shot in King of the Monsters. Yeah. Where he's just like, you know, that, that awesome shot of him just roaring and all the monsters are bowing down to him. And, but, and, but it's, it's played as a moment where you're supposed to be like, fuck yeah. Like it's like you're, it's played that way. Whereas the, a lot of the Toho movies have not necessarily been showing him in that light. I think it's, I think it's that decision to really make like, Godzilla like the main character of these movies because I think that's the way as much as like you know we joke about you know people joke about how he doesn't appear you know or how 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 they lack his appearance in in Godzilla 2014 it's clear that Godzilla is the focus and and the protagonist and the focus of that movie his presence is always felt prior and I, in I, I do think that that instinct where it's like well because all these other godzilla movies even the ones that we've seen it's like godzilla's a major presence but there is a little bit more like toho tends i think to really put the focus on like a mixture between it's like it's human element and you know it's uh godzilla and i don't think they're they're not afraid of basically saying like well no the human element is like the main portion of this movie right and then we have like these godzilla things because it's a godzilla movie Mm -hmm. where they think that the the two legendary godzilla films you know they've they've not shied away from having their like you know protagonist human characters be forefront but i do think that they present especially king of the monsters but i think it's really relevant in 2014 as well presents godzilla as the main character mm-hmm. is a character that you're following, that you're supposed to be most invested in, and and that you're rooting for at the end of the day. And I think that that as that decision of making, that and you record, always want to see him too. I think that's right. like a big factor. And I think that's like, and, and I do think like in in the cultural context, the way that you're presenting this to like an international audience is that you 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 know there's that instinct that's like you want people want to see Godzilla, so let's make him want to see Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it. I I do think I I think it's interesting because there is such a, there is such that reverence for him but I will speak on the whole like the the making him god thing and making him very godly and why I think it is such a natural progression and that brings us all the way back to where we started is that I think that why it's such a natural evolution is because you're still relating Godzilla to uh things that are out of man's control and I think that that not only stems from the original nuclear um, thematics right, that birthed right. Godzilla, but it's also what is the thing that people know this character as? They know him as this unstoppable reptile that comes in and destroys cities, and the military can't do anything about it. Like I would, I would actually guarantee that not a, not that many people would be able to tell you how a Godzilla movie ends. Like they just know that like he just comes in, he destroys cities. Like the fact that you could even defeat him isn't even in like the zeitgeist as much. Like how many people really know about the oxygen destroyer? Right. And I think that because years and years of that 65 years of that happening it has built up this i mean it has built up the myth that godzilla in some of these ways has gone from being like this uh analogy to this mythic creature that it makes sense that the movies being made now take on that identity sure because uh it's just this creature that is beyond man's control and what's the next step you can make him you can essentially make him 
uh, well, after you make him nature, which he yeah. has been, now he's God. Yeah, and I think it does come full circle because what did nuclear weapons give us? It gave us the power of God, essentially. It gave us the power of destruction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to kind of like relate, that. I like that. I relate that back to Godzilla being like you know kind of a godly creature, you know, something big and and to- totally out of our wheelhouse, our realm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is very much portrayed in that in that human plot line of King of the Monsters, where it's just like this is these are things that we can't even imagine, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they're coming to fruition. They're, they're coming to fruition now, you know, that we think we were in control, but we're not because yeah. in true, like whether or not Godzilla had the reverence in those previous movies, whatever he was on screen, he had control. Mm-hmm. You know, he whether he was destructing or saving, that was like he when. We watch these movies, and you know, obviously, sometimes the humans get more involved than not. But when Godzilla's there fighting, there's only so much you can do because you kind of have to watch, right? Right. Whether within the context of these movies, you know, when you're, you know, you can try to do your own thing, but at the end of the day, when Godzilla is there, he is the presence. Mm-hmm. Whether again, whether it's Showa, Millennium, Hasey, whatever it may be, Rewa, Legendary. 98, whatever it may be. When Godzilla's there, you're watching. Mm -hmm. And the characters are watching. The characters respect. Because I think, you know, a a movie that we talk about, that we haven't talked about, that does kind of share this kind of reverence for the creature, specifically at the end, is Godzilla 2000. Mm -hmm. Because what is that last fight? Again, I complain in that movie that it just turns into the characters watching it. But at the end, the very last, like, five minutes, it very much is, like, these characters just watched a giant lizard destroy an alien that was going to take over the world. Right. And then, you know, and then what's the next thing they see him do is start burning down the city. (laughs) And and there's that, there's that sense that like you can't help, but watch, you can't help, but be in awe because whether, and then like say, I think like there's some similar stuff in those previous movies. Like you kind of get to that, like destroy all monsters and, yeah. And, um, Megalon to an extent and definitely like stuff like by the end of Biolante. Well, the end of Biolante is very much in that real house too. But before, yeah. But you know, while you're on that subject, like let's like, you know, with the most recent King of the Monsters, that movie literally like, uh, can not only contextualize that, but brings that element of, uh, that humanity there, there's almost like this kind of like, uh, futile element because it's funny for these movies where everybody's saying the human plot line doesn't matter in a way that is kind of also the point that the movie is making too like and i'm not saying that the movie because i don't agree that the human plot line doesn't matter and that movie is bad but ultimately the point one of the b or b points b like b or c points of that movie is that at the end of the day it is up to humanity to be like, no, we're low on the totem pole, and we have to let the titans and the monsters and nature like, run its course. And nature run its course. Like we're we we don't matter. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting element that actually, uh, like, uh, is threaded throughout all all of the legendary films. But it is also interesting that, in a way, that despite like maybe the Toho films portraying Godzilla as more of like the destructive force and taking a lot of the heroism out of them that the American films which have idolized Godzilla 
have brought humanity down a peg. Like it's much yeah. more critical of humanity and is way more willing to uplift the creature. And I yeah. think that that's a very unique evolution. You just have really made me appreciate the American films for American films more mm-hmm. just because I kind of miss that heroic Toho kaiju. Yeah, no, I, I mean, do miss definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think we'll, I think I do if, I mean, obviously you're in control of the subjects. Yeah. Uh, but I would really like to like read deep dive into kind of the Showa era. Oh yeah, at some point. Well, also, but but it's good that because you mentioned I, the Showa era. I really era. like would love to talk about like what I really why that's my favorite era of Godzilla. Well, I think you're you're absolutely spot on because I think that the people making these movies now those are the movies that they, that they grew up with. Yeah. Like those are the movies that they would watch on Saturday mornings and see. So it may that's another thing that makes sense why that these um, at least these American films it it does make sense because the American films would be more of like treating Godzilla as like the hero whereas maybe the Toho films are like well we've done that and you know we're way we're a little bit more of like having him as like the force of nature or every now and then we'll make him the hero it's not as unique to them but to the uh, an American audience it's what they grew up with and that's why the American films could really use another hero like Jet Jaguar in them yeah (laughs) let's let's do it if you get Jet Jaguar and listen Jet Jaguar and team him up with Akane and Kiryu from like uh from Godzilla that's, I mean, Mike, that, that was exactly my pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've heard my pitch. <laughs> yeah, for, no, yeah. yeah I, I got you. I got you. That's exactly my pitch. Um, Nick, this was uh, this was an awesome conversation. Do, do we have uh, any closing remarks? So now that we've gone from the nuclear origins of Godzilla to the political and social exploration to the ultimate reverent mythological reverence that uh we are currently at uh what are some closing remarks now that we have uh, seen it is there anything that comes to mind that you've maybe realized over the course of this i think that like even like we were we were talking about a little this a little bit about this off mic just about how even movies that we don't enjoy we want to take something out of them mm-hmm. uh and i feel like that's really what this this was where like somehow we kind of related all this back to all monsters attack yeah it's like the the worst of these movies yeah. like bar bar uh, none is it is it all monsters worst? attack what's worse than all monsters attack raids again is pretty bad <laughs> uh, mm. i have to look at my list to see because it, it's it's definitely one or the other it, it's like because at least all monsters attack is like crazy but at least raids again has all original footage yeah but all monsters attack has gabra <laughs> He used to be a businessman. He was once a man. <laughs> In our head, kind of. But oh, I do yeah, feel yeah. that that like even like the the weakest of these movies have some thematic element to them, and yeah. I do think it was interesting to kind of mine the entirety of the canon, the best of the best and the worst of the worst, to really find like the different aspects that they do explore. And again, we talk about how these the, maybe they attempt to explore. Sometimes they don't really nail it all the way, but it is interesting to still discuss that these are possibilities yeah. of things you can take from these movies and. To really prove that these movies aren't just Saturday morning cartoons, even the Saturday morning cartoon movies that they made mm-hmm. are there's always stuff to say. Yeah, I mean, and listen. So I think my closing remarks would be: you don't get sixty five years of an ongoing franchise and say that the entire time it has had nothing to say, and even you can, even if it's something that it says retroactively. I would ultimately, like, I would be on the side of that I would say a lot of these films, especially in the Showa era films, are simply, um, to 
make monsters fight each other and entertain the kids and entertain the audiences. I do not believe that intentionally that all these films, like all monsters attack or anything, were ultimately going for like a bigger point. I mean, I think all monsters attack, they were clearly going for the anti-bullying thing, but I'm not trying to sit here and claim that all these movies are like these deep uh, uh, like thesis statements. But at the same time, you get you don't get a franchise this long and once you get to like 65 years uh and it's still going strong and as we've discussed on the podcast it seems like it's going to be going stronger than ever um that there's a reason that it's gone on that long and then you have to look back on it and say why and even if it wasn't intentionally made with any of these thematic points you know that's the beauty about art and movies is like these things will contain those thematics even if it's on a subconscious level because if you're making something you're going to feed upon uh you know things that are going on in the real world and i think that in the showa era films that is more subconscious whereas in the hasty films it's a lot more pointed because like there's a little bit more effort into making those ideas come forward but then as we just mentioned those showa era films gave birth and inspiration to more recent films that are way more thematically rich than those Showa-era films were. So, And I think that when we see this evolution from the early days of Godzilla to this completely reverent uh, era that we're in right now, um, I think that it creates the foundation of a very long-lasting and strong franchise, and that is why we talk about it on the Bonzilla podcast. Indeed. So, ah, okay, now we come up from air, for air? <gasps> yeah. <I> can, <sighs> all right. The deep dive. I got to admit, Will, yeah. I'm about to pass out. <laughs> I think we got to wrap this up. It was very no, interesting no discussion, problem. but no I, problem. I am really I get it. No, we're done. We're done. Okay, guys, that is it for the uh, Godzilla deep dive of this month. Uh, as I said, you can go back and listen to our Against Mecha Godzilla episode, and we also just put out a news episode last week in which we finally talk about the release of the James Bond 25 title, so go and take a listen to that. But um, until then, uh, you know where to find us. Uh, Nick has plugged away so many times on the other episodes. Just find another episode, like a mainline episode, just skip to the end. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right, guys. Well, until next time, thanks for deep diving with us. I'm Will. I'm Nick. And take care. All right, bye.